I would like to be somewhere alone, walking in a cool breeze, holding a coffee for several hours. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, I am so excited for a, a couple of amazing uh, conversations that we get to share with you today. Welcome to Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media. I'm Dave Trout, and uh, if you've paid attention at all to pop culture news, uh, one of the big stories this week is the movie I Can Only Imagine, which debuted in the theater on uh, March 16th. And it became uh, the number three movie in the box office this last weekend. Um, But I think it was number one in its per theater revenue. Now, of course, this is all dollars and cents, but that turns a lot of heads because uh, that is success on anybody's terms, even Hollywood terms, even though this is a completely independent film. So, um, well, of course... uh, it got me thinking about a conversation I had years and years ago with the subject of that film, Bart Millard, the lead singer of Mercy Me, the guy who wrote the song I Can Only Imagine. And um, in the, we were only a few months old as Under the Radar way back nine years ago in uh, spring of 2009 when I had a chance to interview Bart and talk about music. And not just, we actually didn't talk at all about I Can Only Imagine, but we had a fascinating conversation about uh, the importance of hymns, um, worship music in the in the church today, um, and even him doing some side projects along with Mercy Me Music. So uh, it's it's a really fascinating conversation we'll share with you in the second half of today's show. In the first half, uh, we have a guest who I would describe as articulate, passionate, honest, thoughtful, artistic, inspiring. Those qualifications make this person a fantastic interview guest. We are so thrilled to be talking with Audrey Assad. It's a brand new interview we just did with her this week, um, and uh, we're excited to share with you her thoughts about the creation of her brand new album, Evergreen, which just released last month. Um, and we, we delve into some other topics, too, that are fascinating. So buckle your seatbelts. It's going to be great. And before we get started with the conversation, let's listen to a sample of one of the songs off of the Project Evergreen. This is so great. Thank you for making the time for us. Um, and uh, yeah, I know life is super busy right now. You can hear my baby in the background. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, well, um, I uh, want to start with a broad topic, one um, that I'm guessing you've thought quite a bit about. Um, the, the idea that uh, beauty is an important element to um, really the the heart of good art, but also the heart of music being birthed in the church. So how does beauty play a role in your life and in your, the way you, you pursue your craft? Um, I believe beauty to be one of the three great transcendental qualities of God, of the nature of God. 
and how God reveals um, him, himself to the world. So as an artist, regardless of the field that I'm in, you know, whether or not I'm speaking and singing to Christians or people outside my own faith tradition, um, I believe it's very important for me to lean into and pursue that, um, as something that I can immerse myself in, something I can learn from. You know, I often look at making a record, for example, as chipping away at a block of marble. Um, in order to find the beautiful sculpture underneath, you have to spend the time and do the work in pursuit of that by sort of taking your chisel and knocking away at all the, the raw material. And sometimes that means a lot of inner, you know, exploration and self-care in terms of like, you know, seeking to understand the places that you've built up walls inside yourself um, so that those can be torn down. Like the process of being um, in the in the record industry or, you know, painter or whatever, like it, it involves a lot of personal work to make beautiful things. And because of that, in the pursuit of beauty, we are made more like God. And that's why I believe it to be so important, not only because it will make my work better, but because in seeing and encountering the beauty of God, I will myself become a more whole and healed person. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I can definitely relate to, I um, I have, I'm raising five kids with my wife. And um, so, you know, it's always a struggle to find work and family life balance and um and you uh just had your second child which is awesome and uh but here you are in this you're kind of in this unique phase of life which is different from you know the way things were five years ago so how how do you find this this phase of raising really young children how does it how does it impact the way you approach your career and your music I definitely approach my career differently as a mother of young kids. I mean, I don't know that there's any other option unless you're wealthy enough to have constant help. But even if I could, I don't know that I would do that. Um, I definitely have had to adjust the length of time that I spend on things, the amount of focus I'm able to give to my job. Um, I tend to go in spurts now rather than kind of have a steady stream of work every day. And that's just kind of how it is until the kids are older. And I've settled into that mostly. I definitely have my days where I find that frustrating just because it's hard to be productive um, on a work level. But uh, it is their young years. Um, I'm excited to experience this with them and um, trying to be as present as I can. Yeah. Now, uh, you talk about uh, pretty openly about um, having... Uh, sort of a faith shift in recent years going through a deconstruction period of sorts. And I know that um, many, many, many people experience that to different degrees, and I guess it looks different to each individual and in each case. So just how would you describe your journey over the last few years? I would describe my journey, if I had to put it in a nutshell, as... Uh, the undoing and redoing of belief and of faith. And belief and faith are not always the same. Actually, they're really not the same thing. Um, I believed a lot of bad things, I think, or at least faulty things, as we all do. Uh, But it was high time that I um, 
undid a lot of those structures and redid them. Um, so faith was the, you know, the road that I had to walk in order to engage in that kind of process, even not really knowing where it would end up. Um, it was definitely unsettling overall. And, um, I'm glad I went through it. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, well, that leads us to the release of Evergreen, your new project. And it's um, really the first album of original music um, in, in many years, at least um, music from a kind of faith-centric um, standpoint. So what was that process like to kind of go through, you know, you just went through this this deconstruction, reconstruction, and then and now you're you're once again entering that world of writing about your faith once again. Oh, it was trippy to write faith-centric songs again after years of not being able to find words for that type of subject material. Um, I found myself shying away from, you know, some traditional phrases and ideas, while at the same time finding new meaning in some of those old old sayings and old words. And so it was a balancing act for me of saying things that are kind of commonly understood Christian language phrases and ideas, but also trying to state them in some new and fresh ways uh, to reflect where my heart has been. Um, but it was really beautiful to find that there was still a seed of faith underneath all of that pain um, and all of that doubt, which still remains with me. Um, I live with both of them. And I think the songs reflect that. Yeah. So um, as we look at the songs on Evergreen, um, I'm wondering uh, if they are more of a personal expression, just like, you know, this is what I've gone through and this is where I'm at right now. And, uh, you know, I just want to share from my heart. Or is it more or did you write the music with more of an intentional idea of what the listener and the audience would um, would hear, would experience, and maybe um, would feel through the music. These songs are a mix of journalistic, you know, not journalistic, uh, journal-type songs, personal, confessional type of things, and songs that I hope that churches will be able to sing. Um, one example would be The Joy of the Lord, being a song that I hope that congregations could use um, in prayer and in singing. Um, but a lot of the songs are sort of more confessional. I tried to mix it up so that the record was a journey from front to back to listen to, but also that there would be these kind of key moments in the song order where someone might think to themselves, oh, I could use this at my church. My community would love to sing this. Um, and beyond that, I am absolutely intentional about ordering the songs in such a way that the audience, the listener, um, has a specific road to walk as they listen. Um, obviously everybody has their own story and their own experience of my music because of that, but I do like to plot out a kind of, uh, curated road for them to walk in the scape of a record. And Evergreen is no exception to that. Hmm. Uh, let me ask you about the making kind of behind the scenes of Evergreen. And I want to apologize because my baby is crying in the background. <laughs> um, 
this is my life now, so it'll be your life too for the next few minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's no problem at all. Uh, it's not a distraction. No, it's uh, it's a delight. Yes, your child, your baby is welcome on the podcast anytime. <laughs> so, um, uh, looking back at the recording process, specifically wanted to know. Were there, were there any uh, surprises, anything that maybe you had mapped out, you had planned, but just through the recording process, by the time you got to the finished product, you, you, you know, were pleasantly surprised by something? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I've produced my records before, but this time I brought in several collaborators, which is new for me. I usually work with one person or alone. And it was really cool to see how songs that I worked on with different people could kind of form a cohesive collection. And so I was surprised by that cohesion itself. Um, And I really did worry over it. I was worried that it wouldn't sound like one record because I do tend to, um, I do tend to try to make cohesive projects that sort of have a concept to them. And this was no exception. And I feel like it came together pretty well, but I think one production moment that was a surprise for me in in particular was Wounded Healer, which I wrote very shortly before tracking started, and it's got a Celtic flair to it, but the instruments are not traditional Celtic instruments. Um, I spent a lot of time building samples for it, um, and we ended up with some trap, like, hi-hat loop stuff. And just different things that you wouldn't really think of for a Celtic song uh, or a Celtic style song, but it, it I love how it came out. It's very different. Um, it's one of my favorites on the record. Let me ask you about the song Drawn to You, uh, which is the closing track. It seems like a perfect bookend to this album. And um, I'm interested to know if you knew right away that this was going to be the closing track for the project. I knew pretty quickly once I started to sequence the songs for the album that Drawn to You would come last. So it just feels like a good closing statement to me after all the stuff that I raise up in the rest of the album. also like the 
quite frankly, the most honest thing that I say on the album. Not that anything is dishonest, but that that is the most um, true, I guess. Something that I can say I'm sure of is that after everything I've had and after everything I've lost, I know that I'm drawn to God. I, I can say that with certainty, and I can't say much else with certainty anymore. And so, for me, it felt like a good place to end, to end the album because it is so... Um, so much something that I can stand by and um, stand behind. Nice. Ah, oh, it is. It is such a beautiful song. Um, so I only have one more question for you, um, and uh, kind of take a left turn here. Just help us to get to know Audrey Assad, the person. Um, so help describe to us your ideal day that does not involve touring and music and all that just what is your ideal day and uh, what would it include oh man well my ideal day at this point probably sounds a lot like the ideal day of many many mothers of young children which is that I would like to be somewhere alone walking in a cool breeze holding a coffee for several hours (laughs) that would be amazing um I think I'd like to be somewhere with trees and, uh, you know, silence. Um, That would be my ideal day at this point. Yes, love that. Love our conversation with Audrey Assad. Ah, such a fun time talking with her. And if you haven't picked up her new project, Evergreen, um, we highly recommend it. It's so good, um, really front to back. Audrey just continues to just put raise the bar each time she releases an album. And um, Evergreen is available at iTunes and Amazon, really wherever you get music. So definitely check it out. Um, And you can get more info about her at her website, AudreyAssad.com. And if you just found us, we're glad you did. Welcome. And we uh, welcome you to uh, check out past episodes of Green Room Door, uh, where you can hear interviews with folks like Charlie Peacock, Andrew Osenga, um, Randall Goodgame, uh, also John Tibbs, Fernando Ortega, and several, several others. Um, You can subscribe uh, through Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, um, or you can find us at our website, utrmedia.org. And that website, UTR Media, is the home of our parent organization, and we have some sister podcasts you can check out as well, which which are Good Patron, um, Release Date, and the Gourmet Music Podcast. And I absolutely love the fact that UTR Media is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so we are not in the business of selling advertisements or just trying to make a profit. Money isn't our motivating factor. Uh, We want to do good ministry and make good content just for you. So um, we couldn't be here without the support of incredible, generous people just like you who have stepped to the plate. So thank you if you are someone that supports this ministry. Well, stick around. When we come back, we'll be uh, playing a classic interview with the lead singer of Mercy Me, Bart Miller, after this. 
Not much can pull me away from Twitter. But believe me, this has. What a great time to be an American. And what I'm about to tell you could be very, very good for you, believe me. My dear friends at UTR Media, such classy folks, they are giving away an iPad Mini. That's right, this is huge. Maybe the biggest contest ever. They say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Wrong. Because an iPad mini is much, much better than a lunch. Much better. And it could be yours for nada, zilch, nothing. Smart people like me will enter the contest now at utrmedia.org. Trust me, this is a winner. Check out the classy website, utrmedia.org. And I mean classy, really, really classy. Thanks to our podcast sponsor, Old Bear Studio. If you're an indie Christian artist looking for a home, a place where the mixers, the engineers, the producers, the musicians care about you as a person, as an artist, and the music you're creating, a place that thinks differently and creatively about how to make a record using analog principles with the latest technology, a place that doesn't just care about your cash, they care about you and the and the art you're making, and, and will work within your tight budget. Yes, that is music to an indie artist's ears. They would love to invite you to come make the trek to beautiful upstate New York and make your next record at Old Bear Studio. And their full service, they can help you with photo shoots, album artwork, even music videos. Start by filling out the short questionnaire at oldbearstudio.com. And while you're there, you can check out some of the albums that they've made and watch one of the episodes in the Harmonized Sounds video series. Once again, that's oldbearstudio.com. Welcome back. Now, I am not necessarily a big follower or tend to be a big fan of quote-unquote Christian movies. Um... I, they just sometimes seem to miss the mark artistically for me personally. Um, however, it's always fascinating when a Christian movie does make national headlines. And this week, one movie has been all the buzz. The other big headline of the weekend, Roadside Attractions and Lionsgate's faith-based offering I Can Only Imagine performed far better than expected. The film debuted to $17.1 million from 1,628 cinemas and surprised everyone by defeating A Wrinkle in Time and Love, Simon. Yeah, you heard right. I Can Only Imagine the movie is a huge success. It uh, debuted in its uh, box office opening weekend, number three at the national box office. It was the number one per screen average of any movie uh, in the whole nation and in its first five days in the box office made 20 million dollars yes and the movie only cost seven million dollars to make it's pretty astounding so um it got me thinking with all the buzz around this movie um kind of reminded me of an interview that i did with the subject of the movie uh it follows 
sort of the life story of the lead singer of Mercy Me, Bart Millard, and the making of that song, I Can Only Imagine. Um, I had a chance to sit down and interview him in Nashville many years ago. In fact, um, when we started, uh, the, the infancy of this ministry was called Under the Radar, and nine years ago, almost exactly nine years ago, uh, that program was only a few months old. I got to sit down with Bart. And we, we didn't talk so much about Mercy Me a little bit, but uh, we talked about the kind of the state of worship. Uh, we talked about his um, hymns albums that he was, he was recording. We also, uh, yeah, had some interesting uh, side topics as well. Uh, nothing specific about the song I Can Only Imagine, but it, it did get me to think that this would be a good opportunity to uh, revisit this interview with Bart Millard from The Wayback Machine nine years ago. Here's our conversation. How did you discover your passion for music? Um, you know, I I mean, I grew up, my music was a huge part of my upbringing, always played in the house, stuff like that. My dad loved music and my mom sang all the time. And I guess growing up in the church, you know, I just, um, they said I've, they said I've been singing ever since I was born, it seems like. And um, I didn't really, I guess, get into music, uh, like um, get really, really serious about music until my, uh, it's probably my sophomore year in high school. I was a big football player and, and broke my ankles in a game. Got sandwiched between two linebackers. My ankles did, and, and I had to quit the football program. And the only class available since the school year had already started was choir. And so, reluctantly, I got into choir, which was totally not cool coming from football. And I had an amazing teacher that kind of made me realize that I kind of had a gift and started singing more and more and fell in love with it. And, it, and you know, it's obviously completely changed my life. Yeah. So what led you to um, create the couple of hymns albums? Uh, the hymns records are, um, they're, um, uh, it was a promise I made to my grandmother when, when Mercy Me started taking off, she used to always give me a hard time saying, you know, one day I want you to, to, you know, to make an album similar to the music you grew up on. I grew up in East Texas and the country and the New Orleans style, that kind of stuff all played a part in the church I went to, the little bitty country church that I went to that my grandfather and grandmother started. And, and um and she always would always harp on me about making that kind of record and and um so I started to make the album and unfortunately unfortunately she passed away during the making of it but I went well, I still wanted to finish it just as a promise I made to her and uh and uh once I finished it the one thing I didn't see coming was uh, my kids learning all these old hymns that I grew up on that unfortunately the church probably doesn't sing as much as they used to. But you know, it's something something crazy when you're sitting in a car and your kids are screaming for old rugged cross again and again and so I knew at that point I would definitely be making more, and sure enough, we've made the second one hymned again, and the same thing's happening. You know, the kids are loving the songs and singing them, knowing them by heart, and so, you know, if I have my way, I'll do 10 more if I can, so we'll see what happens. Mm, yeah, so cool. Um, so are there any hymns that uh, really kind of took root more in your life as an adult? Yeah, I mean... Uh, for most of the ones that are on those records kind of came that way. I mean, I have I had distinct memories of my grandmother or whatever attached to a lot of these songs, and that's probably the reason I put them on the album. But while recording the songs, it just, they took on a whole new life, just like uh, you know, just kind of soaking in the lyrics and songs I probably knew I've known by heart my whole life and never stopped to think what they're saying. Uh, Grace that is greater is certainly one of them that uh, just. Um, just uh, you know, knock me off my feet, and I stand amazed, and some others that, uh, you know, it's just, um, you know, as a songwriter, I can certainly appreciate that, you know, their their songwriting ability 
in my opinion, kind of runs circles around most songwriters today, and it's something to strive for. Yeah. You, you mentioned how uh, the, the music stylistically is a little bit different uh, on these hymn records, that at least from what you're doing with Mercy Me, kind of a throwback Americana sound, um, which is great. And uh, I'm just interested to know, um, is that just something that you wanted to do to connect to the past, or is that kind of a style you enjoy today? Um, uh, you know, how difficult is it for you to switch gears like that? Uh, it is definitely music I enjoy now. I would probably say as far as um, my experience with music, I would say I probably have more experience with the, this music on the Hymns records than than I would with, say, what Mercy Me's doing. I mean, the, the style of music on the Hymns records, I mean, that's my entire life. That's from when I was born, everything we listened to. And it, it came very, very naturally just going to the studio and start making those records to where Mercy Me does come naturally. But it definitely was music, a musical style that kind of became a part of my life, obviously later in life, and stuff that's hopefully more current. But yeah, it wasn't really a departure so much. Departure from what Mercy Me does, but it was like putting an old pair of shoes on, making the hymns records, and loved it. It's always interesting to um, take on the, the re-recording sort of your own fingerprints on a classic hymn. So... Um, are there any songs that you recorded on the Hymns project that, you know, really stands out? Maybe just kind of he- hearing your unique version of it. Just uh, this is there's something special that stands out to you. Um, probably the one that on the first album, the Old Rugged Cross, um, is really really special to me. Um, you know, on a lot of the songs, we we try to do things different and make songs that sometimes come across boring when you're in church as a ten year old to kind of put a little new, a little more life into them, but also kind of maintain the kind of old soul about them. And so we did that with a lot of them. But when we got the old rugged cross, it was more of a stripped down. Like, man, I don't know if I really want to touch this much, and I want it to be really, really intimate. And um, so it's really just it's Barry playing guitar. There's a friend of mine playing dobro, and then a vocal. And then a, a, a girl, a friend of mine, that's that's sang the backgrounds, and that's pretty much all the whole track is. And and uh, for it being so little, it's one of the biggest songs, in my opinion, on the record. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay. Cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And exchange. I just, I love the whole vibe of it. I just love the the dobro solo. Is um, it's just, it's just haunting, and I just. Yeah, that, that, that song certainly took on a whole nother life for me, especially with what the lyrics are saying. I just think it's one of those special moments. Yeah, so good. So um, how, uh, when you kind of think of, think about the, uh, the hymns, how important they were, how important do you think it is for, um, you know, the next generation and the folks um, who are growing up now to... Um, understand, appreciate, and embrace the classic hymns of the faith. Yeah, I think it's crucial. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's about like 
schools not teaching our history book anymore in a sense i mean it's 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 a, it's about as, as scary i mean you're talking these are all of the you know it's not scripture i know i'm not even comparing it to the word of god but these are these are the songs of believers in past generations this is where we came from this is you know if nothing else you know even if it's just to see these songs and realize man they dealt with the same situations or similar situations and the good news is is that god was the answer then just like he is now even if we just have to be reminded of that I don't, I don't, I'm just not a big fan of turning our back on where we came from, you know, all for the sake of change or non-traditionalism or whatever. I think there's something to certainly be learned by, from as, as far as where we've been. And, uh, and, you know, it's especially in the hymns, man. I mean, that's, that's gosh, there's so many good, good things, uh, lyrics written on those songs for us to just kind of, you know, you know, find a, some contemporary praise album and not tap into that. It's, it's kind of sad. Nothing against new hit worship songs. I love those, yeah. but there's definitely room for both. Yeah, no, that's spot on. I think that um, speaking of worship music um, and worship songs, I, I mean, you have been a part of of worship music for for many years now, and um, and I think that um, that there uh, can be some worship that's out there that seems fabricated or inauthentic. Um, maybe even sometimes um, formulated. <laughs> and I just wonder what your advice would be for artists and songwriters that are coming up um, on how to pursue worship in a more authentic and honest way. Um, well, I know as far as a musical standpoint, I mean... I guess it really applies to anybody. I had a friend of mine that was a worship leader in a church, and he was a great guy and he had a great heart, but every time he'd get in front of people in the church, he kind of became this robotic, like, choir director. It was really weird. And it was like, you know, like, hold up your Bible, now sing this. And it was just really, I don't know, something about it was just very uncomfortable. And and um, and it's and I, I remember talking to him, he's like, I don't get it, man. I, I really want to connect, but the people think, they look at me like i got a horn coming out of my head. And, and the one thing I told him was, man, you know, the reason I know you can is because there was a day where I came by the church and I heard this music playing in the sanctuary. I looked through the window of the door going to the sanctuary and you were sitting there by yourself playing the piano and you're totally pouring your heart out. And I realized at a moment I saw something that you may not have wanted me to see. Like it was an intimate moment of worship. That it was just you and God. And I said, dude, as a worship leader, you've got to figure out a way to be able to peel your chest back and let them see your heart. And I said, if you can relay that, then they'll follow you wherever you go. And um. You know, I think the same applies for any worshiper as far as worship in general goes, is that, you know, you've got to figure out a way to, to expose your heart and to God or whoever. And just, uh, you know, it's we get so formulaic in what we do and what we're supposed to do and what looks okay and what's traditional to when, man, it's like the best times of worship I can recall is when everything got messy and and you didn't care about what it was supposed to look like and, and you just you truly had this moment in the presence of God. And it's like, you almost have this tunnel vision where nobody around you care matters. And, and it's just you and him. And it's, it's a, you know, if you can, I don't, I don't want to say if you can figure that out as if you can just turn on and off, but when you get to those moments, man, it's, that's what it is to truly worship is, is to figure out a way to be genuine and to, and to truly let him, you know, penetrate your soul and penetrate your heart than just going through the motions. Like sometimes we do on Sunday mornings. That's good. Um, okay. This is kind of a tough question, but, you know, um, 
I think that uh, worship music has become um, this huge industry. And, um, you know, in the church today, um, worship has become commercialized and it's, it's big business. And so do you feel like um, that's, that's a positive thing, um, you know, to see this mass market for worship music? Or is it a negative thing? I don't know. Or, or is it both? Um, it depends. I mean, I guess it could be, I guess the answer would probably both. I mean, it's certainly been a help because, you know, it depends on what church you're referring to. There are some churches that are so backwoods and so clueless about what's out there that, um, you know, and so steeped in tradition that sometimes they're, they're not productive at all. And so, um, you know, it was not a bad thing to be exposed to, you know, the stuff like Chris Tomlin or whoever's doing, you know, on the flip side of that, man, there are some there are some mega churches. There are some big churches that become a machine of just you know pumping out hits and and it it, it kind of loses its soul. You know, it's just a it's just a formulaic thing. And and um you know commercialism typically is is usually a not not very healthy for anything as far as a church goes. And and so I think it's just got to be a healthy balance. I mean, you know, there I've seen churches that have a bigger production than Tonight Show does, and and I wonder what the point of it is. And then I see some that, you know, of churches of uh, my grandmother's church has about twenty or I don't know maybe thirty people max, and it's a little bitty country church. And and uh, and uh, we were there a few weeks ago, and and um, and they were singing "How Great Is Our God," and it was it was it was probably the worst sounding version I've ever heard because none of them can sing. But it was absolutely gorgeous because they were truly worshiping. They heard the song and they were like, I don't know what this is, but it's unbelievable. And so, you know, if it wasn't for that song being played everywhere in the world, they may not have heard it. And so uh, yeah, I could see both sides of it. I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, I could probably go either way depending on, you know, what day it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, okay, one more question for you. Just um, this is just for fun. Um Give me a little glimpse about what what your uh, favorite th- things are, um, you know, away from the studio and the stage and um, just w- what what are the things that really kind of make your day? Uh, you know, for um, when I'm on the road, uh, Mercy Me, we carry these um, 49cc Honda Ruckus scooters or like these little tiny scooters and we put in our trailer and uh, we got them a few years ago and so we whenever we get to a venue we all get our scooters and go drive around town which is really funny to see a guy my size on a small scooter (laughs) but uh but yeah it just on the road it's just about goofing off with the guys and just you know trying to get lost and find our way back or whatever as far as home goes man i'm just i'm all about being with my wife and kids whatever they want to do i'm totally into it so yeah i'm i'm a i'm certainly a homebody like i'm the one that tries to turn the cell phone off and just Lay low at the house. Yeah. (laughs) What a blast. A good conversation there with Bart Millard of Mercy Me. Yeah, that was uh, something we recorded many, many years ago. In fact, almost exactly nine years ago uh, in Nashville. Actually, it was during GMA week, which that event no longer even really exists anymore. So, boy, good times. And, uh... You know, Bart Millard, obviously the uh, figure that is uh, sharing his life story through a couple different mediums. Of course, um, the brand new movie, I Can Only Imagine, um, which uh, 
has just been uh, making huge news with its success at the box office. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't, you know, give you a review of it or anything like that. But I know that uh, many folks have endorsed it um, as a as a really great story. And you know, I think I think a lot of Christian movies can be pretty contrived at times. Let's face it. But I have actually higher hopes for this one, especially because it is a biography. So it's it's really covering somebody's life story, which I think will be really compelling. Also, um, if you're more into the the reading world instead of the movie world, um, Bart just released his own memoir book about basically the story that led to the making of that song and just his childhood. And yes, the book is also called I Can Only Imagine. Why not? <laughs> and uh, you can check uh, that out. at uh, it's, it's for sale right now at anywhere you buy books. So uh, also, also his website is bartmillard.org. And um, last name is M-I-L-L-A-R-D, bartmillard.org. And uh, boy, wow, that was fun. Thanks to Audrey. Thanks to Bart. And thank you for joining us. We just couldn't be here without you. And thank you to our supporters as well who make this show possible. If you want more information about uh, what we're doing uh, as far as uh, new podcasts, videos, free album downloads, even um, we're giving away a special huge contest right now where you can win an iPad mini. That's all at our website, which is utrmedia.org. And for a little uh, cookie here at the end of this episode, after uh, after we kind of wrap things up and say goodbye, we're going to be playing the full song of uh, Bart Millard's solo, one of his solo hymn uh, songs that he did. Um, and uh, given that we are approaching Easter weekend, and there's a lot of attention and focus on the cross and the empty tomb, um, we're going to play uh, a very timely hymn, uh, an updated version of Down at the Cross. So that'll close out the show. But we're uh, just so excited uh, to spend this time with you. Uh, my name is Dave Trout. You've been listening to Green Room Door, a production of UTR Media, an independent, listener-supported nonprofit ministry in Chicago, Illinois, and online at utrmedia.org.
sweet Cast that poor soul at the Savior's feet Plunge into day and be made complete Glory 